I always think about studies that I'll have with someone in the future and think of them accepting the Lord's wonderful call. Now, whether it happens or not is beyond my understanding. But I love seeing what might be. And when it comes to pass, how beautiful that is. And it helps me to, to think about this morning's lesson because it made me think about well, what could we all be doing regarding the work of the Lord and the church. And when we even talk about the work of the church, I think sometimes it's easy to lose focus on that work. I think we know it here. We know it from Bible studies. We know it from sermons. We know what the work of the Lord's church is. But in a practical way, sometimes we forget. And so it's easy to lose that focus and in what it entails. We understand biblically that, well, the Lord's church is to be busy about seeking the lost. That's very easy to understand. We see that in Scripture. We see that in the Great Commission. It's to build up the saints. Now, how simple is that to understand? I mean, I know I'm brushing it over with a large brush stroke, but that's really, in essence, the work that we have that make up the body of Christ. Seek the lost and build up the saved. That's it. Here's what often takes place that I have seen over the years, that much of our time and our energy is focused among saints. And I've been a part of a number of congregations over the, the few years I've been in the Lord. What I see is, in congregations, congregations where a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ are involved in each other's lives. I've been in congregations where that doesn't happen. But where you have brethren that spending a lot of time throughout the week, every single week, together with one another. And it's very edifying. It's very wonderful. Except for, we forget that initial focus of seeking the lost. I don't remember this song, but it's a song that's very beautiful. And it's it's this family that's gathered around the table. And everyone is enjoying each other's company. And you see warm candlelight. And outside of the walls of that home, it's cold outside. And there's someone in need. And they can see that person in need, but life is so good and comfortable inside. It's like into the church often where everyone gets comfortable enjoying one another, and, and we're always happy when people turn to the Lord, but everything is in-house. And it's uncomfortable going out, if you will, into the world, going out and seeking those who are lost. And so what we do is we spend time with the saved, and we spend time with the worship service, and we biblically understand about seeking the lost, but have difficulty practicing that. It's a struggle that so many have in our culture today. And this is when I say our culture, I'm not limiting it to the U.S. I'm limiting it to this culture that we have where we have such comfort and ease. And where you'll see the gospel spread, it's usually because of difficulty and trials that are going on in through the lives of so many brothers and sisters in Christ. So what I'm thinking is that we need to not minimize the fact that we do things together and and hopefully, in the congregation here, there are more things that we can be doing to build up the body of Christ. But we do need to maximize the former. Going out, reaching souls who are in this world that so desperately need to hear the Word of God. And it is of my personal opinion that, brethren, we live in a time where more and more people are turning away from God Himself 
that we are in what's, what's called this post-Christian age. People call it post-modern, post-this, post In other words, where society itself begins to have less and less understanding of who God is, even though they profess to be Christians. You can go generations ago where people, no matter what denomination you get into professing Christianity, they had a very good understanding of the Bible. Go to the founding fathers of this country. For all the things that we can talk about then, one thing that you cannot say is that they did not know their Bible from a general standpoint. They knew scriptures. In fact, many of them would probably be able to quote scripture than most preachers today. And these are people that you think, oh, they're just the average. That's a far cry from today when you say, well, do you know who um, the Apostle Paul is? Moses? Oh, yeah. Noah? Oh, yeah. You know Jeremiah? Just things that, that maybe for us we take for granted, that we know these individuals. Many professing to be Christians don't even know the names of these individuals. And so I believe this is a very wonderful opportunity that we have in this post-age, if you will, where, where people have such little knowledge of who God is. And there are people searching, just as could be attested over this weekend. So we need to not minimize the former, but maximize that latter. So what I'm hoping that we can do through this lesson this morning is just refocus. Refocus on what we already know to be true and double those efforts so that we can be well-pleasing to our Lord. So that's the, the aim for this morning. So by way of, of looking at this, notice that what Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Very simple. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we ought to be doing, right? I mean, these things we already know to be true. We want to do these things, and yet, again, our comfortable lifestyle, work and play, that's good enough for me. That's the mentality that so many of us have in the body of Christ today. Why don't you look at Luke chapter 5 now? Here is Matthew, or Levi in some of your translations. He's a tax collector. If you're a Jew, and you looked at a tax collector who was a fellow Jew, they typically had the reputation, treason if you will, traitor. You work for Rome. And many of them would actually take extra tax money for themselves, which was okay so long as you didn't overdo it. Well, many of the tax collectors really made their living by getting extra taxes, if you will, extra money. Levi would have been despised by so many Jews. Hated. So much so that the mindset that is, here's a sinner, here's a tax collector, what's the difference between them? There was no difference for many Jews. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 18 was referring to treating someone like a heathen or a tax collector because of that mindset. Jesus goes up to this tax collector. In verse 27 it says, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. He says to this person that would be known by Jews as a sinner, whether he was one or not as far as their mindset, Follow me. He left all, verse 28, rose up and followed him. 
Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Probably a great thanksgiving. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I wonder what it was like to be a Jew listening to these words, because many of the Jews, particularly the Pharisees, the scribes, looked at themselves as pure, undefiled. We've kept the law, and here are all the things that we're doing. And here is Jesus saying, well, you know, I didn't come to call those who are righteous, and technically, he only came for sinners, right? To save those who are lost. What's the problem, however? All sin, all fall short, all need salvation, all need that great position except for many are blind. It's like I'm walking as if I'm healthy when in fact I am sick. That's what we're happening. The point was Jesus sought sinners. That's why he could say to someone like Matthew, come follow me. And he did. He came to save those needing such. And so important was this mission, if you will, that Jesus had, that before he ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of the throne of God, he told his followers, you go into all the world, and I want you to make disciples of every nation. Now imagine that. I had no thought in my mind that would say, you know, these disciples, when they heard this, they would think of Japanese or Hawaiians. Or Russian, in, in their mind, all the world, all the known world to them would have been Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, going into the ends of the known world at that time. Who would have thought that you can go to the remotest parts of this world, into the Amazon jungle, go into Siberia, and have souls who would turn into the Lord? That's how important this message was, that he said, you go, you make this fact. And that's exactly what we have today. It's no different. 2,000 years later, we've got the same calling. And you know right now, one of the greatest fields where the harvest is, is ready and white, is right here. Talk about spending just untold amounts of money to go on airplane trips that are very expensive today, which there's nothing wrong with doing those things. In fact, I appreciate men who go to various parts of the world. I've done it myself. But right here in our own backyard, right here in Williamson County, Murray County, uh, I don't know all the other counties around the national area, I'm still learning it. But all around this area, there's so many souls. I remember when I was in Athens uh, preaching there, you know, I, I would venture to say many of you know Athens, Alabama, you know where it is, you know how many churches there are and so on and so forth. I said, brethren, believe it or not, just because there's a church at every corner does not mean that there are Christians every single place. You go around here in Limestone County. I still venture to say you're a minority here. We are a minority in Limestone. I, I said, and I said, you know, there's so many who are still living in sin who need salvation. You've got to get it out of your mind that right here in this area, in Franklin, 
or wherever you live in the Nashville area, right here, the harvest is white. There's so many who are seeking today. Every week I'm talking to individuals in our community that, that talk about, I want a better relationship with the Lord. And a number of them are, you know, when I say, okay, let's go. <laughs> we start talking and then they get kind of afraid, like, wow, I've got to be committed. But many are seeking. Many want to hear the truth. Now, just because I say there are many that are seeking and many want to hear the truth, many more hear the truth and reject it. Because white, white, wide is that gate that leads to destruction. And there are many who go down that path of sin. There are many that when they see the truth, and even though they say they want to hear it and they want to receive it, when it comes time to doing it, they're not. No different today than in the first century. A minority of individuals turn to the Lord. But you see, seeking the lost is vitally important if we're going to have those few that say yes. And God has determined to use His children, His children who have been of the flesh, who have come out of the world, who have seen the light and tasted salvation, and these are the ones that God has chosen to go into the world and preach the gospel. That's the foremost of what we should be doing. We have just finished the, this part of our study in, in the auditorium class in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, where in the Lord's church, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And it was all for the purpose of ministry, that is, for serving. And that purpose was so that the body would be edified so that the body would grow up into all things that which are in Jesus Christ and our wonderful God. That's the foundation of fellowship right there. Go back to chapter 2 and read verse 19 following in, in Ephesians, and what you have is this building, if you will, where you have the apostles as that foundation and Jesus as that chief cornerstone, and built upon that foundation is this wonderful and holy building made without hands. That's every one of us. Everyone. Male, female, no matter what nationality, no matter what cultural background that you have, wherever you are, whether you're the smartest person on the planet or the dumbest person on the planet, is that politically correct? It's not, I don't think, but you get the idea. The spectrum is as wide as can be and all are saved through the blood of Jesus. We're all one in that body. And our purpose as one in the body is to treat each other as brothers and sisters who have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. That is why when you go through that remainder of chapter 4 in Ephesians, here's how we ought to behave so that we can be one and flourish as one. And when we're one, we're not tossed to and fro. We're not like children. But we're a mature and solid man built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what we have as our work, if you will, within the Lord's church. And this fellowship is what brought about edification for each other. That's what fellowship does. When you're kind to each other, when you are selfless toward one another, what do you have? You have great joy. You have brothers and sisters in Christ writing letters and having elders just about on a weekly basis saying thank you 
to my wonderful brothers and sisters in the family of God. How great is that? I was talking to Phil, I think it was yesterday or last night or the night before, and one of the things that, that I mentioned in having a Bible study with someone who's visited here on about four, five, six, seven times now in the last few months, he said the short time that he's been visiting here, he said, I sense based upon things that have been said in the pulpit, this is a loving congregation of believers. This is a person who does not even agree with the teachings that we have here. But he's come, he's listening to God's Word, and he notices these things as an outsider, as a bystander. That's encouraging, brethren. It really is. When this happens, when every joint does what it's supposed to do regarding the work of the church as to ministering, that is to serving each other, it cannot help but, but grow. When I say grow, I'm talking about maturing in the Lord. I'm talking about a body built up in the Lord. Not necessarily numbers. A body truly growing and maturing. That's what we have as the work. And so we come together for that purpose of edification. That's the work that God has for His church. Now, that said, here's what we need to do. We need to be involved. You see, when we look at Ephesians 4 and you read verses 11 through 16, it talks about how every joint supplies what it's supposed to for the edification of that body. Now imagine from a medical standpoint, in fact, Don should be up here rather than me, <laughs> or some of you that is involved in the, the medical field. I mean, what happens when the red blood cells aren't doing what they're supposed to do? What happens to the entire body? What happens when the white blood cells doesn't do what it's supposed to do? What happens to the body? What happens if the bones don't have the minerals that it needs? What happens? The body gets sore and brittle and sick in any of those cases. What happens if the heart says, no more beating today? The brain says, no more sending out instructions to the rest of the body. I mean, it's amazing how every part is so absolutely necessary within this body. But what you have to do is, you have to work. And that work means you go out into this world and you seek and save the lost. One of the things that we'll hear, and I've heard sermons along this line, is, you know, we need to make friends among those who are going to build us up, right? And I believe in that. But that's not all we need to be doing. We were told, or the church at uh, Corinth was told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, do not have fellowship with the sexually immoral. But who was he really talking about? Verse 11 says, one named a brother. Verse 9 and verse 10 tells us, listen, if we're talking about people in the world, then... Where would, we have, where would we go if we couldn't go into the world? There's no place to go. In other words, if you're going to reach the lost, you're going to reach the sexually immoral. You're going to have to reach the thieves. You're going to have to reach murderers. But who wants to do that? Who wants to have a murderer in, in our congregation here? I do. 
Brethren, I want the sexually moral in here. I don't like the sexual morality in here. I don't like murder going on among saints. But I tell you, we're all guilty of sin. Of one kind or another. Some, our sins are very small as far as society is concerned, and so we can share those easily. Talk to someone who's guilty of such heinous activity that they don't want to talk about their sin. They just want them clean. Don't you want them clean? They don't get cleansed by sitting around and saying, well, let's look for those good neighbors of ours that are morally upright. They make for great Christians. We need to seek and save every soul. God can do wonderful things through ex-murderers. He can do wonderful things through ex-homosexuals. He can do wonderful things to people who are just creative thieves. He can work through us all. But brethren, that means getting out and getting involved in people's lives. And I'm telling you right now, you hear of stories. One particular story I can remember is of a brother in Christ living out in California. And this brother goes to a gang member who's on his Harley Davidson, got the whole garb on. I mean, you got the, the jacket, you got the bike, you got the beard, everything. Looks intimidating. And that person heard the gospel and obeyed it. How awesome is our God. And how wonderful a certain brother would be willing to go and talk to him about his precious soul. That's what we need to do. And so it's important for us to go into the world, not just be shelved into this four walls here and this everything is good. Because that's how you keep the church pure. Listen, the church is full of sinners. And we need to be purified through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And as we're talking about this morning, putting on Christ. We do that then by way of actually going forth and spreading that wonderful gospel. And so we need to participate. And one of the things that, that was very encouraging for me when we first moved here a few months ago was when I heard that there are things called Bible study conductors. That sounded really cool the first time I heard that. Bible study, what is that Bible study conductor? It conducts Bible studies. What's a Bible study inviter? You just invite people to Bible studies. It's not that difficult. All people can do is say no. And maybe say no with a really ugly attitude towards you. That's the worst they're going to do. Around here, you know, get called for asking people for Bible studies. If that is, that's far and above the exception and not the rule. Who's got these groups? These groups can be a whole lot larger than they are. Hopefully then these groups will be active. Everyone. We need to take advantage of opportunities that we have among brethren. Now, brethren, I know we've got work, we've got family responsibilities, we've got illness, and those things come up so that we're not able to spend time as often or at every event that we, that we could. But there are so many times when brethren, just since we've been here, have had gatherings that you can be a part of, and it's so encouraging. I remember in this um, place that I was preaching before, where there was a particular couple that never, ever accepted to be at someone's home. Unless it was only within that small group that they were comfortable with. And after a number of years, they started saying yes. They started going to different brethren's homes when they were invited. 
And you know what happened? The joy of fellowship among more and more of their brethren took place. And it was a beautiful relationship to see this couple having. Brethren, we all have our difficulties. We all do things and say things sometimes that might hurt one another. But if there is a genuine love for each other, all those things become so meaningless. They become petty. And you get past that and you actually build each other up. Spend time with one another. Spend time from simple Bible studies, whether it be from a scholarly academic standpoint to a more devotional standpoint where you just simply praise God or a time when you just spend time with each other just because you enjoy one another's company. Be surprised. We are told in Hebrews 10 verse 24 to stir up love and good works. You can't do that without one another. And I've seen congregations where brethren go about their lives and they have much greater relationships with people in the world than their own brothers and sisters. We are to do good to all men, Galatians 6 verse 10 says, but especially the household of faith. Spend time with each other, brethren. Spend time and you'd be surprised at how well. Now, I've got to say this as a parenthesis. Part of the reason why we don't spend so much time with each other, I believe, is because then you get to know more of me, and you may not like more of me. I may show my true self. Or you may judge me because I believe this or I think that. Is that possible that that happens? Is it possible why brethren don't spend enough time with each other? That may be the reason. But if we're going to teach the gospel to the lost, the lost has got to see that this is a family of God I want to be a part of. And I'll tell you, it does make a difference when they see genuine love among those who profess to be brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. They get to see that. So we need to be involved in these ways. And, and guess what? Here at the building where there is only what? Three hours on Sunday... One hour on, on Wednesday. Wasn't that four hours out of the entire week? There's things to be done. When I lived in Missouri, there was a brother that came up to me, and we're part of a large congregation. There was over 250 of us in that congregation. And, and I remember when this brother said, you know, Mitch, I just don't feel useful here. Because there's so many men that leave singing, do the Lord's Supper, that lead at the table, that do the invitations. I need to just be at a small work. That way I can exercise the talents God has given to me. And with a puzzled look, I looked at him and said, is that the extent of your responsibilities in the body? I said, do you not know that there are seven days in a week? There's so many young brothers and sisters in Christ who recently obeyed the gospel, could you be teaching them and building them up in the faith? Could you be taking some weak brother or sister that you could encourage? Take them under your wing. Are there things that go on beyond these four walls right here that are so meaningful to our walk daily in the Lord? Obviously the answer is yes. And it still is today. Brethren, do you see that? This is just four hours. 
just a small taste of our daily walk. But since we're here for four hours, I'd venture to say we probably could use more classroom teachers. I don't know why that is in so many congregations. I mean, we've got a lot of adults here. This should never be a problem, having teachers and helpers. should never be a problem. That's how you get involved. That's how your faith is built up in the knowledge of our Lord and helping those in the knowledge of the Lord to have their faith built up as well. Greeting visitors. i got to say this, and I am being partial when I say this. I was so encouraged when I was going through the list of all the the responsibilities and tasks people were signing up for, and I saw Cardi Davis. I said, Cardi Davis? I know her. Greeter. I was like, all right, Cardi. How great is that? Now, I was curious, was she doing it because there was an assignment from one of the teachers? <laughs> so I saw Cardi, and then I saw Spencer. I said, oh, they're tag teaming something. <laughs> but you know what? They're doing it. Come December, I think December, that's what they Hand out visitor's cards. You don't have to be one of the greeters to hand out a visitor's card or a bulletin or what have you. You can just be you <laughs> and hand those things out. I don't think you're going to get scowled at from the elders. Well, maybe you have a Tuesday night meeting with this. <laughs> Try not to get scowled at if others that don't have the Bible study or uh, inviters or visitors doing these things. Welcome people. Find out who in here are visitors. Isn't that what those 10 minutes were for? That's what I was told by the elders here. 10 minutes between the second service and the third service. We had those 10 minutes. People coming in, talk to our visitors. Welcome them. There's so many things that could be done. You could write articles for the bulletin. You can send information out. Prayer groups that, that are being spoken of after services. I think that's a wonderful thing that goes on there. It's very quiet. You don't ever hear about it other than that's up here on the, the board, on this uh, projector screen, if you will. But there are brethren praying for brothers and sisters in Christ, for our visitors, for people in the community, for Bible studies, whatever they're praying for. You can be a part of that. There's a number of things. Letters, phone calls, visiting our visitors that have come. It's not just those who sign up on the sheet. And there's, was it, I forget now if it was Matt sending it out or Ryan sending out a list of those who have visited information so that we can contact them. You don't have to be in a group, but you sure can participate in, in, in a group that does these things. But if you're saying, well, what can I do? There's a ton of things that can be done every single day. There are brethren here who have asked for help. Their brethren here, maybe because of pride, shamefulness, whatever, don't want to ask for help. But we sure could all use it, and it's very encouraging when we do this. These are areas of service that we can be a part of. Brethren, whatever you're doing, if it's nothing, get up. Stand up, start moving. Start doing something. And you'll feel so much more a part of the kingdom of our Lord. And if you say, but Mitch, I don't like the way things are done about this or that, then do what you can rather than do nothing at all. 
I said this one time, and I'll probably say it a few more times in my life. I despise those cold and perfect souls who never wanted to say nothing at all or never wanted to say anything wrong, say nothing at all. Never wanted to do anything wrong, do nothing at all. All they do, though, is gripe because of all that what others are doing that they're not doing it just that way. Stop griping and start doing and doing it with joy makes all the difference in the world. When you do that, you're doing the work of the church. You're doing the work of the church, you're well-pleasing to God. And when God is pleased, He's giving back.